Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Holdenkamp, another evangelist. And today we turn our attention once again to the parables of our Lord. And we will begin in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, where we'll see the mustard seed and leaven being spoken of. The parallel passage is Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. Ross, you want to read Matthew's account? Sure. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. I believe the point of the parable of the mustard seed was to once again show the gradual growth of the kingdom. From such a small beginning as was taking place in the land of Canaan at that time, the kingdom would grow tremendously. Well, the mustard seed was the smallest seed ordinarily sown in Palestine at that time. It is not the smallest seed of all. But Jesus was using something that his hearers were familiar with. I believe the significance of the parable concerning the leaven was to show the gradual growth of the kingdom from within. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 21, Jesus said, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Leaven has permeating qualities that take place within the dough. So, so too does the kingdom of God grow within a man and affects him from within. The point of Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34 seems to be twofold. One is that the parables presented in this chapter are representative of many that Jesus spoke at this time. Secondly, it means that on this occasion and in this particular sermon, Jesus spoke only in parables. You know, this, as you said, the nature of the kingdom is that of small beginnings, just like the small mustard seed would grow into something great. Uh, It reminds me of something said in Luke 17 about the kingdom, and that is Jesus taught that it does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And so it's not going to come uh, with great pomp and ceremony. There's not going to be a huge uh, revelation day of the kingdom. As we see, it's a very small, it's a very small beginning, something that grows with just, uh, 
just a few believers, and then uh, before long is completely out of control. There is a reference there to Psalm 78, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And it seems to have a threefold meaning. First, no teacher compares in history to Jesus in the use of parables. What about the second clause of that quotation? I want to quote to you from the pulpit commentary. Truths never before revealed have now been revealed by Christ's parables, especially by those two which have just been related. For in these it has been affirmed that outsiders, i.e. those belonging to other nations than the Jewish nation, shall seek protection of the kingdom of heaven, and also that the whole world, including therefore these Gentile nations, shall become permeated with its principles. It may well be through that the clause refers to the, print, the announcement of these great truths. Third, but this interpretation, however, if taken alone, is not enough. For the evangelist is not speaking of Christ revealing truth to men generally. On the contrary, he says that Christ does not reveal them to multitudes, a contrast which is the empathetic language of verse 34 would probably suggest, even though it is not expressly mentioned. It is therefore likely that it was this latter fact to which the evangelist specially wished to refer by his quotation of the second clause. Hence, to make his meaning clearer, he has modified its language. As he quotes it, not merely enigmatical saying, but things hidden, and that from the foundation of the world, are uttered by Christ, but these are now no longer hidden to those to whom he speaks them. The complete meaning of the clause, revelation to his disciples of truths before hidden, corresponds to the idea in verse 11. I think that that explains it pretty well. There's some big words, but mm-hmm. explains it pretty well. Anybody want to add to that? Well, you know, every orator, every great orator, of whom I would count Jesus to be one, uh, they know the importance of variety in speaking. You know, I mean, that would be one critique that would be given if the only kind of message a person gives is the same all the time. Well, they, you know, the advice given is, well, you need to shake it up a little. Do a parable today, but tomorrow do some other kind of thing. But this says... This is, the for a time, this is the only kind of preaching he was doing. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. And so I think this emphasizes the importance of, of what Greg was saying he was trying to accomplish by fulfilling what the prophet was speaking. Yeah, and, and we see the th- throughout Jesus' um, life, life on earth, the focus on fulfilling prophecy, um, especially in the book of Matthew in particular, you see that quite a bit. Um, but just... In the midst of making sure he, the teaching and all the things he's doing and fulfilling everything, um, there, there was a lot that he had to do. Um, and he did it all perfectly. And it's not only, it's such an awesome thing that we're able to, to read and, and have in our lives. Let's go ahead and consider some more of these parables of our Lord. We'll look at the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the net and the householder found in Matthew chapter 13, 
verses 44 through 53. Matthew 13, 44 through 53. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells everything that he has, and buys that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they, they pulled it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his tre- who brings out of his treasure new things and old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. You know, I think an important thing to, to say is that it's important not to dwell upon too many of the details in those short parables. The point of the parable of the hidden treasure is to show the immense value of the kingdom of heaven. The man sells all to secure it. It is the hidden treasure which must be sought and found at all costs. You know, is it is it reasonable, though, for God to ask us to sell all in order to buy that field? Is it is it reasonable that we should have to give, give our all to it? Um, I think it's important to note that God himself, in order to offer this great treasure, uh, he himself gave all. I mean, he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross in order to offer the treasure of the kingdom of heaven to us. And so the idea that we would have to, and others who've been called upon in scripture to go and sell what you have, give to the poor and follow me. Well, some some will see that as a sacrifice they're willing to make and others others will not. And before before we are tempted to say, well, well thankfully thankfully I wasn't asked to go and sell all uh, and give to the poor and follow follow Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 14 verse 33 says so likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a, there's a point in which in order to follow Jesus, you have, to, you have to make him the sole focus. You're not completely giving up all your possessions, but it does mean that all of your possessions become part of his, his use. If he has need of them, then all of a sudden your house is going to become a house in which uh, unbelievers are going to be found. Your table will be surrounded. Uh, your time your time will belong to the Lord. The parable or the principle in the parable in the pearl of great price is the same as the principle of the hidden treasure. Perhaps Jesus meant to point out the difference in the method in which it was pursued. The one man happened upon the treasure not knowing that it was there. The individual in this parable found it only after a long and persistent search. Both recognized it when they found it, and both gave all that they had to secure it. 
The parable of the net makes the same point concerning the judgment day as did the parable of the tares. There are good and bad in the world, just as there are good and bad fish in the sea. When the net is cast out and the fish hauled in, the good and bad are forever separated. The same will occur on the day of judgment, when the good and the bad will be forever separated. There are some who believe that the net refers more specifically to the church, while the parable of the tares dealt with the entire world. They believe that within the church there are those who appear to be good, but are wicked. At the judgment they will be separated. The parable of the household is an interesting short parable. Jesus explained his parables to his disciples. He told them, or he had given them a method of understanding. Then he compared them to a householder. A homeowner retains the valuable old things and adds the necessary new things. Thus the scribe should treasure the best of the old and be ready to do all that is new, true, and valuable. With that, Jesus ended his private instruction to his disciples following this sermon of parables. Anybody want to say anything, Jacob? Yeah, um, something that jumped out to me with the the costly pearl is that the the merchant in verse 45 is seeking fine pearls in the the plural, looking for um, more than one. And as we get to verse 46, upon finding one pearl of great value. So he was looking um, for, for many, and he found the one of great value, and he sold everything that he had and bought it. I think that's the, again, an excellent example. Obviously, it's, it's excellent that Jesus was saying it. But the, the value in the kingdom of heaven, that you may be looking for different valuable things, but there is no greater value than a relationship with our God. That plays right into the very next thing we find in Matthew's account, and where in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Again, we're trying to follow a chronology where we're following it in order as it occurred, as it appears to be. This is about total commitment in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think we're seeing a couple of things here. We're seeing the the call for total commitment, 
with the press of the crowds during the Galilean ministry, causing the Lord to request that his disciples take him in a boat to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus was making his way to enter into the boat, a certain scribe volunteered to follow Jesus as a pupil would follow a particular teacher or rabbi. But the Lord's response indicates the type of commitment that he required, a commitment that this scribe did not quite understand. Life as a disciple of Jesus demanded steadfast, total commitment. It would not be easy. As demonstrated by the Lord's statement, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Personally, I'm certain that the scribe had not understood what he was asking. Other disciples gave reasons for not committing wholly to the service of the Lord. One expressed his willingness to follow, but first he had to bury his father. Still another expressed the desire to follow, but only after returning home to say goodbye to his family. There's nothing wrong with burying a parent. Indeed, to do so would be a responsibility. There's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to a family member before leaving home. The point the Lord taught was that of absolute obedience and commitment. Being a faithful disciple is more important than anything else. You know, I think these uh, teachings follow quite naturally uh, right after the parable of the, of the treasure in the field and the dragnet that really do teach the same message of commitment. And um, obviously the message for us is that a lot of times we don't know what we're getting into when we, uh, when we think that we're ready to forsake all and follow him or go sell all that we have and follow him. I think that's a message that's coming through uh, in this teaching that uh, Jesus is trying to get them to understand uh, that this is going to be a hard life. Christianity is hard. Being a disciple is hard. And just as Jesus did not really have a place to call home, a place to lay his head, uh, they would need, need to understand what all is involved in that. Concerning the man that needed to bury his father, I've, I've always understood this to mean that uh, not that the man's father had just died and he just needed to put him in the ground, but probably saying, in my estimation, uh, it's just not really a good time right now. Maybe my father's old and kind of sick, but I'll be in a better place in life soon uh, to follow you. And, you know, if that's the way we're thinking, we're probably never going to find a time that life just really suits us to be able to follow Jesus. Yeah, I was also struck by how when in Jesus' response to the one that says, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my home, that's um, found in Luke's account. Um, Jesus talking about no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's, you know, once we have found this relationship, once we have found the greatest um, of value, uh, greatest value we can find, is which being a relationship with, with Christ, it's, there's there's no need to look back. There's no, um, in, in fact, we shouldn't look back. It's it's we are going full steam ahead with with Jesus, and there's no better direction to go than walking forward with Him. Even though I went ahead and read the account of the stilling of the tempest, 
There's a great deal to say about that. I think we need to put it off until the next, and we'll be talking about the Sealing of the Tempest in the next episode. But we want to thank everybody who has been listening and let you know that if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us on our website, www.nkcofc.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so very much for listening.